says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to break down another week of NRL and Parramatta news, my good mates, 60s and Quint. Fellas, big week coming for the Eels. They go from the northernmost parts of Australia down to the southernmost parts of the mainland. Plenty of kilometres of travel, uh, but a big game against Melbourne Storm looms in the NRL and a big game against the Dragons in the NRLW. How you boys doing? Mate, I'm doing really well, especially after our get-together last Friday at Big Swing Golf at North Mead. That was a, a really good evening uh, with some sponsors, some Eels people, some uh, mates. It was just, you know, it was, a, it was a fun night. Unfortunately, what happened the next day with the Eels losing, uh, well, the weekend, with the Eels losing both the NRL and NRLW, it, it wasn't a great way to finish the weekend. But I guess that's footy. This week, is it season-defining? I guess we can talk about that. We were pretty fired up after Saturday night. No doubt about that. But um, I, I think we're, there's a chance we might still be a bit fired up tonight when we're talking about um, Eels news and NRL news. But uh, anyway, Clint, how are you doing, mate? <laughs> yeah, look, I'm probably not too dissimilar. A little fired up, and you know, ju- just to let you know, uh, you boys know how far uh, uh, that um, instant reaction podcast reach. I've I've had eel supporters that I know, um, both personally and from uh, I, I guess um, extension of um, friendship circles, contact me and say they enjoyed the listen and were equally as fired up after the uh, the Cowboys game. So. You know, if, if those comments are to suggest uh, how we're all feeling, I, I dare, or how the three of us are feeling, I dare say it's also representative across our supporter base going into this all-important game this Friday night. And 60s, you mentioned it in passing about our uh, great Friday night, but a shout-out to the sponsors of the show, Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Narelle, and Parramatta. Um, yeah, it was really good to be able to get... In, together and have a meet and greet with everyone there while playing some golf and some other party games and whatnot. So that was great fun. But thanks to them for sponsoring the tip sheet and helping us get the episodes out each and every week. But fellas, it's time to talk some footy and some news. News team, assemble! And, fellas, just to start off with, just a little bit away from footy itself, most members of the of Parramatta Leagues Club would have received an email today just to let them know that the general meeting, which was to be held on Thursday in Parramatta Leagues Club, has been postponed. So if you're not aware of that, um, please be aware that that general meeting has been postponed. Check your emails for more information on that. We'll just leave that there. And the other thing, too, I want to mention before we get into the news is we published our feature story on the Parramatta House on Saturday morning. It's the house where we have four young players who are in the Eels Jersey flag team who've had to relocate all of them from Queensland in uh, during this year. And that's where the Eels look after them via the wonderful... Shah and Milor and their family. 
we were up there for a barbecue a few weeks ago. We recorded a chat with Shah and Milor. We also recorded a chat with the four fellas, uh, that being uh, Lance, Ethan, Will and LeBron. And uh, it was a great day. Please read the article, our feature story. Have a listen to the podcast that goes with it because it is a good news story. And in rugby league, we need as many good news stories as we can. Eels do a fantastic job around welfare. And this is a, another example of that. So, and, and you know what? If you enjoy it, how about sharing it with some of your Eels supporter mates as well? Let them know about it. Uh, pass on a link or whatever that you can do just to share that story. We, we'd really appreciate it. And you know what? If you're an Eels supporter, I reckon that's a great thing to do anyway, just to share good news about the Eels club. Uh, fellas, now getting into the weekend, ah, where do we start after that Eels loss to the Cowboys? We were pretty fired up over a number of things, John. But where do you sit now that... The dust has settled. Maybe the rage has quelled a little bit. Um, Goal was quite harsh in his grades this week. I'm not sure that I agreed with all of his sentiments. But, you know, because I found some positives out of the loss. Did you find any positives when you reflect back on it? Oh, 100%. Like like we spoke about at the time, the... uh, as much as the Cowboys pride themselves on their fitness, this is twice now the Eels have really run them down massively in their home ground. Uh, and if that game goes to Golden Point, or if we just had another you know five or ten minutes in a hypothetical thing, uh, I think we get them and get them easily. But again, that doesn't take away from the negatives, and we were very critical of the team, in particular that left edge, where just for a variety of reasons, from you know guys I think that have probably just played a little bit too much first grade right now, to a player that wasn't necessarily match fit and then had some incredible bad luck. I mean, we've got to talk about Sean Lane later, but the poor man could not – I mean, I suppose he's catching a lot of breaks in, in one way uh, this year, but he's just had awful luck. But he wasn't match fit, so his defensive reads weren't great. Uh, and then, you know, Bally Simonson was sort of caught in the middle of all that alongside Wanga Bike, who had a shocker. Like, I'm, I'm not going to shoot that. Uh, Wanga was just awful against the Cowboys. Um, so, yeah, that, that was a real big negative. But, you know, the fact that – as we've seen for pretty much the entirety of this season, bar the uh, game against the Warriors where we were missing essentially half our starting team when you factor in injury suspension, this state of origin, uh, the, the Eels, while they haven't always been pretty and they've sometimes been far from perfect, they have fought two for now in every game. Uh, you know, right through that awful start, the awful stretch at the start of the season where we had those three consecutive four-point losses, um, you know, and through other games where we were in less than favourable conditions... Uh, they've managed to dig deep and, and be competitive. And we saw it again against the Cowboys where that was a game that was very, very, I would have said very good odds of being a blowout at one point. And uh, instead yeah. they, they rallied and while, yes, they didn't get the win and it now puts them, I wouldn't say in a precarious position. There's been a lot of talk about how we're not going to make the finals now. I still feel pretty strongly that we've got not only uh, a position where we're in control of our destiny, but I think we're still in a good position to make a, a push. Um, but obviously the game does hurt us with the Cowboys leapfrogging us. Um, but yeah, a, a game that certainly has its you know, reasons to be upset, but also, like you said, 60s, there is stuff to uh, be positive about coming out of it. Yeah, Clint, obviously there was no sugarcoating, as John said, the performance of the left edge. Uh, Wonger is a shadow of his former self. We have to be blunt about that. He's 
his confidence must be absolutely shattered at the moment. We saw Sean Lane really showing the effects of just not getting game time this year. Dejan was he's he's not Dylan Brown defensively, and that's that's probably that probably showed up in a couple of moments during the game. And Bailey Simonson had arguably his worst game at centre for the Eels. So acknowledging all of that, mate, were there positives that you were able to take from the loss? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, and, and the finish is probably a little bit more important than what people will probably give it credit for, you know, because um, regardless of how the first 60 minutes unfolded, 60, 65 minutes, um, if you want to stretch it that far, we still only lost um, by eight points, <laughs> you know. So that's um, uh, yeah, and, and to to finish the stronger as um, as John was touching on, that's really something you can roll into the next game with. That's the type of energy you can roll into the next game with. And you know, um, the disappointment was that that energy wasn't there from the get go. And I think um, Coach Brad Arthur expressed as much um, in in the post game presser. Um, but look, you know, there, there's reason for optimism there. And, you know, uh, I, I think I referred to sort of the golfing analogy last week in terms of the swing. You know, we, we, we just a couple little things um, you know, and, and, and we're good to go again. We, and we got a really good opportunity against um, arguably um, our arch nemesis of, well, certainly of, of, of recent years. It definitely feels that way anytime we come up against Melbourne for me. There's certainly a side I, um, I, I get a little bit more um, aggressive <laughs> when watching us play. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, um, I, I, I thought the efforts of Gutherson and Moses in particular in the back end of the game, you know, obviously they were the architects of our, of our points. And the fact that they didn't stop pushing, you know, um, Will Penasini and Bryce Cartwright also, um, you know, um, had very high effort games. Um, you know, Jermaine Hopgood as well through the latter latter part of the second half as well was pushing, probing, asking questions, and and they kept coming. You know, and and that's something you know that it, we may not necessarily win every week, but when you have performances um, like that from players and they can carry that um, into or, you know you have at least a handful of those players um, carrying those types of performances each week, it means you're always been the fight. And you know, as, as was said before. You know, apart from the game against the Warriors, where you know half our side and then some were out, um, we've been competitive in every game. We haven't had a 13-point loss um, outside of that result, which is the anomaly for very obvious reasons. So this is a highly competitive side. We still have, at this particular point in time, a very good for and against. And likewise, um, we still have destiny in our own hands. So there should be reason for optimism, and we should be going into the game against Melbourne this week um, ready to take no prisoners and take control of our destiny. Yeah, uh, and we'll we'll talk about the team list Tuesday selections uh, very shortly. But whilst we were able to find some positives in the NRL loss, I'm finding it very, very difficult to find any... Well, no, I can find a couple of positives in the NRLW loss, and it was, and it was down to some individual performances. Yeah. Um, for me... Um, I'll just give a big, big tick to um, the back three, and, and you know what? Even even throw in the performance of the centres in in that regard. But outside of that, John, 
it was an ugly loss to watch, wasn't it? The NRLW loss to the Tigers first up. Yeah, again, you can't sugarcoat this one, can't you? Sixties. Um, a lot of there was a lot of excitement and promise for our you know sort of our season opener here against the Tigers. That lost a lot of momentum when there was the uh, team update twenty four hours before kickoff that neither Rachel Pearson nor Elsie Albert will be playing this game. That took a lot of wind out of the sails. Uh, there's your tone setter in the middle and, you know, your general on the field. And unfortunately, uh, our worst fears came true against this, uh, or in this one against the Tigers. And, yeah, the the big one here, and you can cop conceding points because, you know, especially in a format like the NRLW where it's much more uh, open and, and free-flowing compared to the NRL for the wrestling around the ruck, there's going to be a lot more opportunities to score. But we, and this is something that Brad Arthur always talks about, it's one of his calling cards, isn't it? The physicality and chasing the collision, we wanted none of it. In this game, we we weren't putting shoulders in, or arm grabbing, weren't even making attempts in some you know instances, and the the Tigers in the second half just saw that and ran away with it. And uh, I thought the injection of one of your uh, players you sort of pointed out when we were chatting to Mary Kay, sixties Lasana Lutu, was huge for the Tigers. She came on and gave them a lot of direction on both sides of the rock playing as that sort of middle pivot, uh, and the Eels just weren't interested in going with them set for set. And like you said, the back three, in particular, Zali Faye and Abby Church, I thought they were very good. Uh, they can really hold their heads up high. And uh, in saying that, Chantel Stowers and Mahalia Murphy uh, both only missed a singular tackle in a game where I think we had like 70 combined missed and ineffective tackles. Um, only, yep. only one other player, uh, was it uh, Muru off the bench, I think, uh, had, uh, no, had zero missed tackles. So three players there with either zero or singular missed tackles, which is almost a, you know, a aberration when the team was struggling as much as it was defensively. But they've got to dig deep, 60s, because they're, they're not getting any uh, reinforcements this week. We'll talk about that shortly, obviously. But the the lack of effort, maybe? Like, is, is it as brutal saying as a lack of effort uh, or enthusiasm? I think it was I – think, I think in your um – a gen and logic column. You just you talked about it was just too passive in the defensive. Line. Yeah, the passivity and that, yeah, yeah, was very. It would mean to alliterate was palpable. Like and the Tigers sensed it. They saw it. They knew it, and uh, they pounced. Um, and it's a uh, defense is honestly so much of it is just effort, isn't it? Sixties enthusiasm, getting up off the line, those first three, four, five steps of line speed, taking away time for the offense to make decisions. Uh, it's about you know being there in support. So they just got to find that. And uh, it, to, to some degree, they had the same issue early on last season and towards the back end of the season, uh, they got a lot better at it. Uh, but it, it is frustrating that they're sort of back to square one here. And I, I hope that they can make those improvements against the Dragons. I think Zali Faye could be anything, oh, she, John. She, she has star potential in this competition. She is such a natural. Uh, I don't think there are many wingers that are as comfortable getting downhill and so confident in, in their attacking uh, repertoire. Like, she's got the inner way. She's got the fence. She's got the speed. She goes up and climbs a ladder. Like, she's got the full uh, bag of tricks as an attacking winger. And it's not like she's terrible on defense either. Uh, but she she is just a, such a natural footballer. Yeah, there was um, – and there was a, a play that she put on where um, she was – the ball went out to her – uh, this would have been uh, – it was in the second half, early in the second half. And um, I'm trying to think who the player was that she did the, the work with. But she was – she came in field but quickly turned the ball back on the outside 
to the other player who oh there was a nice um, little wraparound wasn't it it was uh yeah oh let me go let me go check the team list so i can just jog my memory because it was it the was it a center or was it interchange player um, interchange it was interchange, interchange. Um, uh it was the um the she scored the try in the trial i'm pretty sure i, I could be wrong um I'm just trying to think. Um, oh, Monique Donovan. It was Monique Donovan. You're right. Yes, she did score. Donovan. She did score yeah, the, yeah. the the try uh, in the trial. Yeah, that was yeah, a yes. just like the football now, wasn't it? Sixties just to take that move and then have the little wraparound play. Uh, she, like I said, just a natural footballer, and uh, I think her ceiling really is uh, star potential here. Yeah. Um, now, Clint. The other thing too with the with the performance like that is that when you've got a halfback, the team general that's out, and you're relying on that player pretty much for almost the entirety of the kicking game. Because let's be honest, I think that it was going to be Rachel Pearson doing all of the kicking game, is that, first of all, you're not throwing too much in attack. And I think it's fair to say that there wasn't a great deal that the Eels threw in attack. Secondly, there was no pressure that was applied from a kicking game. They were never having to really chase back on the kicks. They were getting the ball turned over well and truly, um, you know, say 40 metres out from their own line, 30, 40 metres out instead of within their red zone. So there's no questions being asked of the defence. So if the defence isn't being questioned, there's plenty of energy then left for the attack. And that seemed to be what we were seeing with the Tigers, that when it came to the fatigue part of the game, all the fatigue belonged to the Eels. And nothing was uh, fatiguing for the Tigers, and we saw them just run away with ease in that last 15, 20 minutes of the game. You can't underestimate the uh, mental effect that um, of turning the ball over in those positions consistently has on a side as well. You know, when you've busted your guts and you've had to try and earn the hard metres and you know, um, you're turning the ball over 40 metres out from your own line instead of um, 80 metres out from your own line, you know, if... It makes it a lot harder to defend, and it, you know, having to repeat those efforts becomes um, uh, mentally draining, and it, you know, it, it 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 becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in many ways that you you start to open up, and you know, because um, the, the, the cause and effect of such, you know, it, it, when you're defending your um your, your own line constantly like that, it, it it you know, not only is it physically wearing you out, but you know, as I said, mentally mentally draining you, and and um and one um be, one becomes the other, and and you know, it, it seemed to be the way for the girls, and the stat line re, um, reads as such. You know, um, defense is obviously an attitude thing. You, both of you were touching on that before with John's comments, but um, you know, they, they they need to find a way in which to manage the game without Rachel there, because you know, like we see in the in the men's, you know, Mitch's presence and kicking game is so important to that side. Likewise, Rachel to this side. You know, um, her being absent from the team sheet this week means they're going to have to find a way to not repeat the mistakes of the of, of the season opener. And may I just add, gents, you know, um, all the more, um, uh, I guess, stour, for lack of a better word, the loss, given the amount of former reels that ran out in that Tigers side on the weekend. Yeah, the, and uh, a couple of them had really big games as well. So, um, yeah, it was tough. Uh, moving away from the NRLW and back to the NRL, before we talk about team list selections, the signing of Joey Lussick. Quick, 
comments from both of you. Clint, I'll throw to you first. Your thoughts on the signing of Joey Lussick? Uh, absolutely pro. Very happy that this has happened. Um, I was disappointed when Joey moved on at the end of the 21 season. He obviously had a good couple of years at St. Helens there, won a premiership and lifted the World Club Challenge earlier this year um, uh, out of Penrith in a historic win for um, the Northern English Club in the 2023 World Club Challenge. Um, he's exactly the type of or archetype of hooker that suits our team. Um, you know, he's a reliable defender, has very solid service, um, a handy little kicking game that can um, be utilised to um, ease pressure off the halves when they may not be options. Um, and he's also got a lot of game awareness as well. You know, he can sneak a try from dummy half. We've seen that a couple of times, um, not just for us, but also for St. Helens and Salford in his time in the Super League. And, and likewise, his, um, his time in the lower grades throughout his career at Parramatta. Um, there's, a, there's really a lot for Eels fans to like about Joey rejoining the club. And you now I'm glad that this time it's on a little bit of a longer term deal because um, you know, there's obviously some succession planning gone in, in, into place with this signing. And, you know, I think um, in terms of adding, not only will he add immediate value, he allows us to have leverage in negotiations with our um, succession plan in that position moving forward as some of those kids from those um, successful junior sides start to come through the grades. Yeah, and I think it also frees up uh, Brendan Hands to be more of a utility um bench prospect as well like moving forward if it ends up being that um like joey's starting off off the bench this week i'm just Mm. wondering whether whether they've got in their mind that um brendan hands is more of that utility value than what joey lussick is he can cover quite a a range of positions brendan he can can play lock he can Mm. play in the halves he can play dummy half um Or, or even anyway, even if they do um, have keep Lussick on the bench, that if they have an injury in one of those other positions, then Brendan Hands can cover that, and Joey Lussick comes onto the field. So I I think it opens up the utility value of Brendan Hands a little bit more, whether he's starting or whether he's coming off the bench. Um, John, your take quickly on the the signet getting the signature of Joey Lussick? Yeah, look, there's been a lot of legitimate grievances about how we've handled our top 30 coming into this season. Um, obviously, a lack of depth in the back line. And that dummy half uh, has sort of bit us on the backside at various times, including this week with uh, what's happening on the wing. But this is good business. Um, so credit to the recruitment team. They did a great job here. This was swift, uh, was decisive. Uh, I, I like the length of the contract too. Obviously, the remainder of this year plus two more. Gives Eels great security at the position for the next few years as they work on a couple of options for the juniors, including young Matt Arthur. And then you've got uh, guys like Jacob Davis, uh, you know, who get a chance now to develop, knowing that the Eels have uh, no need to press them uh, beyond what they're capable of at the time uh, or at the time right now. So that's really good. Uh, we know Lussick is a good system fit. Uh, did fantastic things for us in 2021. And if he was fit for that game against Penrith uh, in the finals, mm-hmm. there's a, a strong chance that history is rewritten uh, in a significantly different way. So that's fantastic. And, yeah, uh, I was looking at the training gallery this week. Uh, it came out today, sorry, which is this week technically, but a poor way of phrasing it. Um, looks like he's um, sliding in beautifully. And I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he and Hands work, allowing them to both go a little bit more up-tempo, given that we know that they both can play extended minutes in our system, but they'll be tasked with probably just splitting responsibilities maybe close to 50-50. Yeah. And... Uh 
I think we all were in agreement that we were probably sorry that um, Joey Lussick left when he was mm-hmm. with us last mm. time as well. So, yeah, very good signing there. Okay, John, I'm going to throw immediately back to you because there are some big selections across all of the grades. And we'll start off with the NRLW. Can you give us the what, what's the main takes out of this week's selections? It's a bittersweet one this week, 60s, because uh, no... At second week running, there's no marquee uh, presences among our external recruitment. So no Rachel Pearson, no Elsie Albert. I think they both had calf injuries. So awful luck there. And I tell Oh, you- and we can and in a and and with the NRLW just being nine rounds, to have your marquee players already out for two rounds and not necessarily a, a signal that they'd be back in round three or four, this mm. is it, it, it we're heading into like I won't say disaster territory. I shouldn't say disaster territory, but it's not good. It's and especially good, when yeah. you're when you're opening your the season against teams which, on paper, we should have competed quite well against, and instead it's you know, I mean, last week instead of having a what we thought might be a comfortable victory, we saw an absolute thrashing. And now they're they're playing the the Dragons, who they beat in a trial. But without the players, anyway. Sorry, mate. I, I've no, no, that, that's, there, but I understand. Yes, yes. And to make things worse, uh, Jade Fenora, who was the uh, backup half to Rachel Pearson, broke her hand early in that game against the Tigers, so she's out for a while now. Uh, so that that really emphasises the bitter side of bittersweet because on the sweet side, uh, for us who have been in, involved in the para pathways and had a chance to watch the growth in the Tasha Gale, in particular, sixties, we get to see another debutante out of that program. This week, and Rosemary Beckett, who steps in uh, to the most important position for the Eels now at halfback, and she was fantastic uh, just two seasons ago in the Tasha Gale, where she sort of spearheaded us towards our maiden finals campaign in that grade. Uh, so she created a little bit of history for the club there at seven, working alongside Talara Bamblett in the in the halves there, and she got a lot of pressure on her sixties. I'm not I'm not going to lie about that. She's coming into a team that needs a lot of direction. Uh, she she needs to be able to kick well and effectively organise his team and attack. I mean, the two big criticisms I had were obviously defensively the team was at sea, but also their ends to attacking sets was just, just so disorganised. And uh, obviously with no Rachel Pearson, that makes sense. But she's going to have to step into that void and, and make it happen. So really keen to see what she can do. And look, she's going to have her rookie lumps and bumps that happens, but maybe she can be the spark to ignite the team. Outside of that, though, unchanged backline. I already mentioned that Church, Faye and Toy Hickel being free of the uh, you know, better players in that loss. Murphy and Stowers in the centres too. Uh, Puka Berryman Duff works with Beckett in the halves. Madeline Jones will start uh, alongside Ruby Jean, Kennard Ellis, Ruben Charrington's dummy half. Amelia Murphy, Talisha O'Neill, and Kennedy Charrington round out the back row. On the interchange, you've got Capri Pacow. Uh, Nakia Davis Walsh makes her debut for the club, and she's an interesting one on the bench. Uh, she gives the Eels an option to play uh, in the back row. <clears throat> in the back row. I've got a frog in my throat. Sorry, boys. In the back row. Technically in the back line too, but maybe also a tertiary playmaking option uh, for the halves there. And then you've got Shannon Muru and Monique Donovan rounding out the interchange. Uh, Tyler Amatu, Kyra Simon, Kimberly Hunt, Tanika Todd Hunter, and Chloe Jackson round out the extended roster. Uh, a couple of young players there in, in Todd Hunter and Jackson, I believe. So uh, keep an eye on them as the season develops. But yeah, the real story this week, Rosemary Beckett. Yeah, having seen her play... Uh, not this last year, but the previous year in the Eels-Tasha Gale team, she is a talent. 
Like without question, she's a talent. It was uh, maybe this didn't she didn't feature in the immediate plans in terms of getting any sort of blooding early in the season. I, I think it was possibly going to be looked at as a learning year for her being part of the NRLW squad. But opportunity can be something that is the making of a player. Mm-hmm. And I and I guess we shouldn't put high expectations on her. She can have high expectations on herself. She doesn't need the fans to have high expectations. What I would say to the fans is you are talking about a young, talented player. And I think it's, a, I think it, as I said, it's a good opportunity for her to um, come into the team a little bit earlier than expected. And just, you know, I'd like to just see her play her natural game, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, because she she was a very composed playmaker. She, she ran the team sure. in that Tasha Gale team. Yeah. Uh, she was very confident, can run, kick and pass equally well. In fact, she has what I would have considered an advanced kicking game relative to the Tasha Gale when she played in that season 60. So she's got the opportunity to... And, and from memory, John, from memory as well, John, is that didn't she come from St George's? <laughs> yeah, she did. So, um, Tasha Gale team. So that when it... she came to the Eels, that was her second season of uh, at least of Tasha Gale. So uh, she came as a nineteen-year-old into the Tasha Gale team, which is why we only saw her last Correct. season. But was was from the Dragons, and as you said, really brought that composure and and the game management into that halfback role in the Eels Tasha Gale team. So yeah, look, I'm very keen and seeing how she goes this week. As I said, I you know, it's it's a shame that we're not seeing Rachel Pearson and hopefully she is back soon. But my goodness, we're going to be cheering hard for uh, Rose Beckett there. Um Clint, um the loss as well of um Elsie Albert this week. Can they overcome that also? Well, you know, when you lose your um, your engine room leader, you know, it, it very much becomes about sharing the load. And, you know, um, obviously Kennedy is the natural leader in in the pack there, but um, you know, some of those some of those girls have to step up and carry the load that's that's left by Elsie's absence. You know that, that that that's part of playing a team sport, and that's certainly an important part of playing rugby league. Is that you know it's it's the next per, person up mentality we hear with the men's sides. It's 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 the same here with the ladies, and um, you know they they should be walking off the field from that game against the Tigers ready to go. No, you know what, that happens, but we gotta we gotta pick ourselves, dust ourselves off, and get ready to go again. You know, and, and they should have a little bit of confidence given that they beat the Dragons. I know it was a trial match, but it was only a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago that that happened. You know, they should be going in there knowing that they can compete against this side. And yeah, we have um, a couple of outs in, in, in two of our most important players there. But, you know, to what you boys have just said about Rosemary, be excited for a debutante that's getting their chance and going up against, you know, the, the might of the Dragons in this team, who, uh, in this competition, I should say, who've been a very strong team over the last few years. You know what? Let's give it to them, you know? What's the worst that could happen? Yep, yep. Now, John, we've got some 
pretty big talking points across the other team selections this week. So can you take us through NRL, New South Wales Cup and Jersey Flag, the main talking points in the team selections there? Yeah, starting with the top grade here in the NRL, boys. Parramatta Reels with one enforced change this week. We mentioned that the luckless Sean Lane, broken jaw, torn hamstring, and now a dislocated elbow. Club has uh, slated him to be roughly six weeks in recovery here, which means uh, if the Eels do make it to the finals and get past the first week or so, they'll be uh, back uh, with Sean Lane in the fold, although he'll obviously be short on match fitness in the time being. Uh, Andrew Davey, another timely acquisition in the mid-season for the Eels. He comes into the starting team. Otherwise, an unchanged lineup from 1 to 7 and from 8 to 13 uh, beyond Andrew Davey, obviously there for the Eels. Uh, Brennan Hands will start over uh, Joey Lusick, who joins the interchange bench, where Luca Moretti, Joe Evangahi, and Ryan Madison will work alongside him in rotation. Uh, extended roster, Hayes Dunster, Makhesi Makatoa, Urumu Greg boys. He's going to be in another team, which too, that's very exciting. Kai Rodwell and Jack Murchie. The big talking point, though, Wanga Blake. He's on the wing. And uh, this one, I imagine, is going to be pretty feisty among the water cooler fans uh, throughout the week. Uh, was it the right decision? Could the Eels go on someone else? I think they could have. I don't know what you guys think. But uh, after what we saw against the Cowboys, I, I, you know I, I don't lightly criticize players, boys, but what we saw against the Cowboys is borderline stamp never to play first grade again. The non-effort in some of those areas cost us badly. And it, it's just not tenable for mine. Yeah, it's pretty hard to justify the selection of a player who's so down in confidence that he's a shadow of his former self. I probably won't have rolled the dice and uh, played Arthur Miller-Steven. Mm-hmm. And I, that's, a, that's a big call, uh, considering I don't know that he's played wing since we would have seen him play wing in um, SG Ball early last season, maybe a little bit in flag from memory, but he's pretty much, apart from when he was out injured, uh, his time this year, I think it's been exclusively in the fullback role. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I maybe, maybe it's too much of a jump up to expect that he would make such a climb within the one season to go from Jersey flag to NRL. Uh, especially when he was out for, what, about, was it nine weeks or something yeah, like that? It was, it was, was about that. But look, I, I'm yeah. entirely with you, uh, 60s. There are three things that have me on board of that too. Is one, even though he hasn't played wing for some time, when we did see him there playing out at Kellyville often, 60s, he was a big talker. He was always yapping to his man inside about defensive alignments, who to watch out for, where to be, which is always a great starting stone uh, for any player, but especially a fullback and a winger. Two, uh, I think he'll bring a lot of energy, something that the Eels you know, will always be good for. Uh, having someone come in and just be hungry to play because it's their, their debut, that's big. And yeah, he'll make mistakes and whatnot, but you, you take that. But free, he's fast. I mean, he's just got, he's got yeah. out-and-out speed. And I think we're, we're a club that, as good as our back line is and as great as we are creating opportunities for our, our flankers, we, don't ha- we haven't really had a real speedster. Uh, and a chance, I mean, you know, Sean Russell's got some legs, obviously, but he's not an out-and-out speeds, and I think Artie's probably closer to that. And I, I would have been really keen to see him down that left edge getting the opportunity to uh, open up a bit. So, look. Um, yeah, for people that for people that are unfamiliar with Artie, all I'll simply say is I believe that he is the fastest player in the club. So he 
he would definitely be bringing the pace aspect there. Um, yeah, you mentioned uh, Wiramu. Good to see him back. Um, what about uh, you, uh, Clint? What would you have... Did BA have any other option to other than Hughes and Wonga in your mind? Look, probably not. Um, and this is a really interesting... Um, you know, if, I'm going to take a little bit of a different perspective on this, but this is, I think this is an interesting week in, in the coaching career of, um, of Brad Arthur and making this selection. And can he get Wonga to turn it around? You know, he's a seasoned first grader. And while he's always been an effort and confidence-based player, um, you know, can he, can he change the mindset of someone who's quite clearly struggling mentally? Um, you know, and I don't think it's going to be helpful. I, I, I would strongly advise anyone listening to this who has any immediate connection with Wonga to advise him to stay off and away from social media because some of some people don't know how to articulate their opinions very well and just resort to straight up abuse because it's the only way they know how to communicate and that's not right. Um, but, you know, um, it, it will certainly be uh, interesting to see how it is that Brad Arthur gets Wonga up for this game, you know. Going down to Melbourne and playing against the might of the Melbourne Storm, you know these 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 aren't these aren't any easy beats. And regardless of of their own team list and them having a couple of outs, um, you know, but he's a seasoned first grader as well, and he's also been played to play. He's been paid to play professional rugby league, I should say, for um for a number of years now. So you know he, he he's got to he's got to get his headspace right quick. And you know what um. We, we have we have to back our coach in 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 this regard, gents, because you know, he's he's been coaching for well over ten years, and if he thought that there was a better option than going with Wong, I dare say he would have exhausted that um, and and tried that. So, you know, um, I'm going to support our coach here, and I'm very interested to see what it is that he does to try and uh, change the fortunes um, of of Wonga in this side because. The fact of the matter is, gents, he's playing for a career um, at the moment, and um, you know if that's if that's not enough to get him fired up, I don't know what is. Yeah, and of course, too, he's got that opportunity to be at least four weeks in first grade, mm. at least four weeks in first grade, and you never know. Like if we said it last week, that if he was able to perform. Not only is he showcasing himself for potential new clubs, because I think it's it's fairly clear that the Eels aren't retaining him next year, but not only does he get to sell himself to new clubs, but he's he's also got that chance to be part of a finals campaign and give BA a selection headache. Mm. Look, you know, geez, Wong is playing that good. How can we drop him? Well. Okay, maybe yeah. maybe he's playing a bit better than Sean Russell, or maybe he's playing a bit a bit better than Bailey Simon. Or Michael. Or Michael, Michael. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the ball is really in his court. And mm-hmm. but again, I'm going to echo what you said before when it comes to people's criticism. Do not get personal, people. Just don't get personal with criticism. You you can say that you wouldn't want him in first grade. But we often see in social media that people cross the line and they start throwing really nasty personal jabs about people. Like, Well, no, jabs is too soft a word. It gets abusive and we mm. don't need that. And it's not – and if you're an Eels supporter, 
it's not going to help. If Blake's in the team, he's in the team. If he yep. got wind of, of any of this, that's not going to help his mindset. And and you have to think to yourself, what are you trying to achieve? Your, your abuse of a player is not going to change a coach's mind about who he selects. It's not going to help a player's performance. It might help you. The venting might help you to feel a bit better, but it's not going to achieve anything that you might want to have happen as a supporter. And as supporters, we all want to see winning. And uh, and I should point out as well that we've got um, uh, a number of players who people might think would be better options at, for selections who are actually out injured at the moment. Mm-hmm. Lumi Luke is not available. Zach Sini's got a busted hand. We don't even know uh, about the current fitness of Hayes Dunster, who has been named but wasn't able to play last weekend. So there's lots of doubts about the players that are um, available and that are options for BA to select. Um, John, returning back to you, um, gee, there's a, a absolute influx of younger players into the New South Wales Cup team at the moment. Yeah, if you told me about six weeks ago that I would be most hyped for the New South Wales Cup team list today in round 22, <laughs> I would have told you you're on crack. But here we are with a, a massive influx of the Jersey Flag players coming into this team. And uh, I don't know if that was a singular catalyst for their win against the Roosters on the weekend 60s, but it sure looked to be a, a significant portion of it. Uh, a lot of youthful energy injected and they responded fantastically with that 32-16 to 16 win. That's been backed up this week with more players coming into the fold. Uh, we see Charlie Garmer making his senior football debut in Open Age Rugby League. He's going to be in the starting team on the edge. Unfortunately, he is... And that's a significant... That is significant, but to, that he's actually starting. Yeah. He's not being eased into it no. off the bench. Yeah. He's starting. I, I Look, obviously, internally, they would have had um, very high ratings on Charlie, but I, I imagine he would have turned a lot of heads of that effort in the under-19s origin game where... He looked physical and dominant, uh, and had huge impact in a team in both in you know two star-studded teams of our uh, NRL caliber players, uh, or NRL plus. Really, there's going to be some rep stars in there as well. And Charlie was fantastic, but he comes into the starting team. The only caveat to that is that he replaces another young player in Jock Brazel, who is out this week. Don't know if it's suspension or injury. Sixties. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, is it? It might be an injury. I, I was talking to someone about it last night. Now it's it slipped my mind. I'm I'm pretty sure it's an injury, but I could be wrong. He did score a late. Anyway. I say late, a 48th minute try on the weekend. So it would have happened after that if it was an injury. Uh, but outside of that, Arthur Stephen at fullback, Dan Keir in the centres. A bit of a question mark on that one there, but he's in a back line that features Dunster, Loizu, and Terrell Williams, another young player getting back to back games here. Joshua Lynn is getting another game in the cup like Terrell Williams. So it's two games in a row. Here's young half or 5'8 for partnering Rankin. Uh, you've got Rodwell, Yates, and Makatoa in the front row. Jack Murchie, who feels like our last back row of standing in terms of the depth charts right now. Uh, he's in the uh, other slot alongside Charlie Gaim, or opposite Charlie Gaim, rather. The big hyphen, Jonte Jr. Beffamiza, continues his excellent campaign. He's starting at lock four. You've got Davis. Uh, Wirumu Greg, Nico Pello and Brock Parker on the interchange. I think we might have to call Wirumu Wolverine Greg from now on, boys, because not only has he come back from an injury that usually sidelines players for, uh, you know, six-plus months, but he's actually come back ahead of schedule. He wasn't due back until next week per the club reports, and here he is back playing cup uh, a week before. So well done, Wirumu. Yeah, 
Um, let's hope they can build on from last week's victory uh, because we've been waiting a while for an Eels win in the New South Wales Cup. But very pleasing to see those young players there. Clint, anything you want to add to that with the influx of the younger players into the New South Wales Cup? I'm just going to echo what we've been saying um, all throughout the year, beginning with the junior representative season, as players have progressed through to flag and now on to cup. It is a um, it, it, it is a great showcase of the talent that's been building and developing inside our club, and that um, that they've played all the, all their football through the Eels grades, and you know, long may it continue. And finally, John, we get to the Jersey flag, and I just want to say from. Um, watching that game that they played against the Roosters out at St Mary's on Sunday, I was able to catch that game. I couldn't stay and watch all of the New South Wales Cup game due to family commitments, but the jersey flag, a high quality, a really, really high quality game of football. The Roosters sitting on top of the table, big, fast, powerful, uh, I, I think they're also at the older end of the under-21s age group as well. Really crack football team. The Eels went toe-to-toe with them. Mm-hmm. Young Eels team went toe-to-toe with them. Um, some great performances out there um, in the Eels lineup. Um, really, you know, almost the entire team just, you know, you couldn't speak highly enough of the effort that they put in there. Uh, it ended up losing, uh, like it was five tries yeah, to three. The, the scoreboard probably not reflective of the contest, wasn't it, 60s? There was a, no, a late no, try. Not a, it looked like there was a foot or two on the sideline um, that helped the Roosters get it out the 30 points. Uh, but, yeah, great, great effort from a team that had been struggling for a bit of consistency, and they should take a lot out of that loss, even if they don't get the competition points. Yeah, because, they, as I said, they, they were giving away, I believe, size and age against a, a team that's uh, really setting that competition alight. And um, and I think the the Roosters themselves were um, quite um, impressed with how the Eels performed against them. So um, I think it's probably made it a bit tough for them to qualify for finals football now. But still we move on. Uh, mate, the, any main takes out of the... Uh, the selections this week. Yeah, got a couple of players being shuffled around in this lineup. A uh, bit of consistency there too as well. Talking about sort of returning players, Upper Tweedles at fullback again, good to see. You've got Kamalafi and Ethan Martin, who's been a real ball of lightning, hasn't he, 60s for the Eels. He bagged the double on the weekend. He's on the other flank. Uh, Richard Penasini and Araz Namva in the centres. you got Blaze Talungi backing up, which is good to see. Uh, long-awaited return. Oh, I'll tell you him. what, um, just, I, I just want to jump in there. Yeah, go, um, go. Cut some big moments from Blaze in that game. There was a tackle that he made on the Eels try line that just drove the Roosters player back. That was a try saver there. Um, just his his strength of his runs, and then uh, like there was a, a a great cutout pass for the uh, first try that the Eels scored, which was by Matt Komalafi. He's a he's a very very good footballer, Blaze, and despite missing. A huge amount of this season with injury, he's uh, he's really stamped himself as a player that Eels supporters need to watch. So, just wanted to jump in there. Sorry for interrupting. No, and, and for Blaze, for the Eels and Blaze, it was a big what if, wasn't it? Because of how much football he's missed this year, both with the broken foot coming into the season, and then what was it, a busted rib? 
from City versus Country. I think he did he did pretty serious damage against uh, or in that rep game. So missed serious time, but he just comes back in in stride, which is a testament to the class of the player himself. Uh, but he's in the halves alongside Ethan Sanders. Uh, front row, you've got Noah Reed and Tony Matelli. Matty Arthur is a dummy half. Lachlan Blackburn, who was in the centres last week, moves into the back row, which is where Raznava comes into the team. You've got Max Tupo making his return with Nicholas Lenars captain the team from lock forward. Another returnee, a big one, Saxon Pryke on the interchange. Lance Fulahima, Lachlan Mears Crab, and Sam Torvaiti rounding it out. Paddy Spence is the reserve or 18th man. So, yeah, this is a good team on paper again, 60s. Hope we can get some momentum. Uh, out of that, as we as always talk, it is to talk about momentum out of a loss. When you play that well against the best team in the competition, you should be taking momentum out of that. So if they can get that and uh, spin it into something against Melbourne Storm, and look, uh, they probably need to win out from this point, 60s, to make it to the finals and maybe need results to go their way too. Uh, they are four points behind Melbourne, who is in fifth place. So this is a big one. This You have to have this one. Uh, you got the Dragons and Storm on 24 points, occupying fifth and sixth. So this one gets you within striking distance of the Storm at the very least the week after if you win. And then pending what's happening with the Dragons this week, let me just quickly check their draw. They take on the Manly Seagulls, who I'm pretty sure are terrible in this grade. So we might we might, might need a miracle there. Yeah, the, the Seagulls are one of four teams on the bottom of the ladder of six wins. Uh, so we need a big upset there. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Once you start talking mathematical and... and relying on results elsewhere, then that's not a good thing. I think we've got – have we still got a buy up our sleeves? I believe we I think do. I'll, I'll quickly check that while we're chatting. Um, if I just line up yeah. the parameter reels here, they have uh, – I'll tell you what was, what was costly is that uh, when they last played the Storm was that it mm. was a try, I think, with about two and a half minutes to go to the yep. Storm where the Eels were leading uh, through the game and just gave up that late try – and of course, therefore, the storm got the victory up here at Kellyville, and um, yeah, it was a, a disappointing way to end that because I think from memory it was a turnover uh, on a on a yardage carry in the um, around the quarter line that turned the ball over to the storm with that short amount of time yep. going. So um, unfortunate there, but they do get that opportunity to exact revenge, and if they can't make the finals themselves then make it difficult for the Storm to and, make the finals. And also, the other thing too, if you're not making the finals, you may be playing for a spot in New South Wales Cup. Uh, we, we've seen mm. the Eels be aggressive with uh, play development right now, so if you can show a bit of spark and a bit of, uh, you know, uh, sort of, uh, I suppose, potential, you could end up playing senior football. Yeah, yeah. Um, Clint, uh, quick take from you on Blaze. Oh, well, where to begin? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie, Jen. He's, he's someone that's been a favourite of mine since I first saw him on the field in, in Mats. Um, you know, I think we've all affectionately called him, you know, and um, we don't want to heap too much pressure on him when I say this. This is this is a term of endearment when we say this. But, um, but Dylan Jr., I think we've all referred to him as that at some point. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's played a lot of 5'8", but more recently... Um, making a name for himself as centre, despite the fact he finds himself um, back in the six this week. But, you know, um, the reason we call him Dylan Jr. is because, he's, you know, not only is he deceptively strong, but um, he, his running game and the way he's able to stand and break in tackles is very reminiscent of our first grade, 5'8". So, you know, um, I, I'm, I, I get excited every time I watch him play because you, you just get the sense that you're watching a, a, um, a future first grader. 
uh, when he's on the field. So, you know, despite the fact he's had an injury interrupted season, the um, you know, that he's been able to find um, you know, the ability to, to, to not only uh, win himself a, um, an SG Ball um, Cup earlier this year, but um, finding some form in its leg now is exciting. And, you know, hopefully it's the launch pad for him to continue his development into um, even more senior grades of football um, following um, the, the off-season of 23-24 and into the 24 season. Yep. Now, and just before we go on to NRL news, just a couple of shout-outs from that game as well. Nick Lanaz, my goodness, what a tough competitor that bloke is. Um, is he, uh, was he named captain again this week? Yes, got the scene John? his name still, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I'd suggest for good reason because he really is a, a, a competitor. He just, at both, both sides of the game, attack, defence, He's he's playing lock. We know he can jump in at dummy half. But then here's the other the other, another one of the ones I wanted to give a shout out to Buds Arthur. Is he he has arguably got the best um, pass delivery the, out of any player within the Eels club. He is just he is a quality quality dummy half and just his reading of the play is sensational. The I also want to give a shout out to Big Lance. Because in a match where it was a really big Roosters pack that he was up against, I thought he did a great job of taking some of those hard, tough carries into the into the Roosters pack. And uh, look, he to me he was one of the standouts last week. He's had an excellent season, and he's in the SG ball, and he's continuing it in the jersey flag. Okay, NRL news, fellas. I want to start off with a little bit of, I'll call it a mini editorial. The There was a lot of talk today around the RLPA and what's happening with their standoff with the NRL and the boycott around the media and talk about extending the boycott to the Dally M. Now, we've had Peter Volandis come out and reckon that he can get the CBA sorted in two days. Well, then why are we at this stage right now? All this, all this time down the track. The other thing is too, and I want to, I want to make this caveat. Um, I have been in a position where I was a union delegate for probably uh, somewhere in the six to eight year um, time frame. Uh, that was in the Teachers' Federation. I also then want to say, that's not my go. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, I, I, I took that on on behalf of the other teachers that were at the school, that it was a role that needed to be filled. I'm not a, I'm not a passionate union person in any way. But I also believe that you, know, you have to have a representation yeah. of workers, Right. So um, and I've been in the role on the other side of the coin where I've faced um, some rather aggressive, um, strong attempted strong arm tactics from some of the big unions in other jobs that I've had where I've been in a, a management position. And that wasn't pleasant either because it was um, it was quite confronting. So I, I've been on both sides. And what I what I witnessed today 
on uh, 360 was an attempt to completely destabilise the RLPA. Now, I'm not saying that I'm backing the stance of the RLPA, but you can see the tactics yeah, I agree. coming through. You, what you saw today was the unnamed players that they say don't understand what the uh, dispute is about, right? So you've got, oh, look, there's players within the ranks. There's a lot of players within the ranks that don't understand what's going on. So first of all, you've got the easily identifiable tactic of your members don't agree with what you're doing. Big tick there. So they're looking to destabilise there. Um, they're looking to pitch them against the uh, RLPA leadership. It's a divide and conquer tactic. And who's the ones that are saying this, that are reporting it to the fans? Telling the fans that the actions are... Uh, what did they say that it's it's insulting to the fans that what's going on that it, there's no regard to the fans what are we missing so far we're missing match day media and if the if the boycott for the Dally M doesn't go ahead what are the it's the players that are missing out on that well that's not a big event for fans yeah fans get to watch but that's them celebrating their seasons isn't it the players so there's, this isn't an attack on the fans. It, the whole way, it's been something that the media has had to face. So when you've got the media reporting on this and the media are telling the viewers that the, the, the players aren't giving respect to the fans and that they're doing this divide and conquer tactic, it's... Like it's so blatant. Yeah, and unfortunately, I, I, unfortunately, some people will eat it up, and they will start turning on the players and blaming them for being greedy and selfish and divisive. But like you said, sixties, these are telltale signs and tactics of division. Uh, you know, and the fact that the players were willing to get an independent mediator in to help you know breach the gap, and the NRL you know allegedly aren't interested in that. Again, it's another sign that uh, I think one party is being non-compliant yeah and and as i said uh, like i'm at, at this stage the the problems that are going on as a fan it's not impacting me it really isn't like i'm missing out on a little bit of match mm. day. if i'm at the game i'm missing nothing like what are we missing out on if we're actually at the game we're not we're not getting any any player input out there anyway they're not grabbing players and putting them on the on the PA system at the ground. It's the television coverage that's missing out on the players there. And as I said, if the if the Dally M is boycotted, what what skin is that off my nose as a as a supporter? No more talk like, really speeches. Jeez. Yeah, it, it's so um yeah, I'm I'm a little bit disappointed that it's that we're continuing to see this. It's, it's not unexpected, and I hope it's all sorted out. And and as I said, it might sound as if I'm coming out all pro-unions on this. No, <laughs> that's that's not the case. But it's just so, the tactics are just so obvious, looking at it, that it's that divide and conquer by 
one of the parties who is a vest, like the people who are reporting it, have a vested interest in it. Like that's mm. that's the most obvious thing that the people reporting it on it are the ones who are actually impacted, not the fans. The ones impacted by it are the media, because, I mean, the fans are getting all the interviews in the early part of the week. And I get that there's things that haven't been able to happen. Like there's, there've been things around the um, NRLW that have been missed out on. There's been um, some, maybe some milestone things that maybe might've been good to cover as part of uh, match days. I get that. I'm not, I'm not ignoring that, but I'm just saying for the most part as a fan, I'm not impacted by this. So anything uh, you fellas want to add to that uh, now that my rant is over? <laughs> no, I think you summed it up pretty well for mine. Like you said, I, I fall into the same uh, camp of uh, not you know strongly pro-union, not strongly anti-union. They're very much in the, uh, I'm not, like even this necessary evils is just a, a unfair way of badging it. Like they are a necess- necessity. Just, it's um, just keeping both parties. Yeah, on. exactly, and. Uh, there will be 100% be unions that take advantage of their ability to strong arm, like 60s mentioned, uh, and there'll be some uh, instances where you know a union is ab- absolutely fighting for the right thing. And I feel like this is far more a case of the latter, where uh, again the sticking point isn't the straight up cap uh, value; it's not the monetary value. It's about player welfare in the long term and securing uh, certain uh, entitlements and and you know benefits that will you know, help players uh, beyond just their initial playing careers, uh, as far as I understand. And that's certainly something that seems worth fighting for. Yeah. Um, now, I'm going to fire up again. And I'm just <laughs> going to throw it to, to you fellas, and I'm not going to say anything more. Uh, Harry Grant. Well, well, well. Um, you mentioned 360 60s. Uh, I caught a little bit before he jumped online to record, and they had Reed Marnie in... Uh, uh, Josh Reynolds on as a player guest for the second part of the show. And they were talking about the MRC. And uh, Reed was sort of trying to dance around it and, and you know, not be uh, – put himself in a position where he can get into trouble because obviously he's an active player. Uh, but Josh Reynolds sort of jumped in and said, no, I'll say it. Uh, they, they absolutely sort of play favourites and have different charges with different players. And goodness has in the last couple of weeks in the NRL made that uh, – not like we didn't know, but has really put it in black and white, hasn't it, about – uh, who the haves and have-nots are of getting charged. Yeah. Yeah. Clint? Oh, it, I, 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 I watched the Melbourne-Newcastle game last week and um, I, I was discussing it with a friend of mine in real time. And, um, and I, 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 I turned to him and said, guarantee he doesn't, he, he doesn't get a, um, a suspension out of that. Guarantee he doesn't. And you want to guarantee, and maybe, and and may, maybe also guarantee that a certain journos don't call it a dog act. Yep, you know, and you know, all, all all of the the, the hoo ha and parades that go that seem to go along for certain clubs and others who don't even get so much as a, a mouse squeaking, um, you know, and it's it's incredibly frustrating because you know we we want to believe that there's parity and we want to believe that there's consistency but it just is never forthcoming and the, you know the, the, the incredibly frustrating aspect of this is is that there is no one willing to come forward and explain why 
We want to understand why it is, how it is you get to these determinations, how it is that you got to this grading, and then subsequently how it is you inferred um, that and compared to similar incidents and also, um, you know, using the legal term here, precedent, um, helped determine and inform that decision. Because, you know, not saying that the average rugby league punter um, knows everything, but it certainly doesn't pass their sniff test or the pub test. And that's why they're getting frustrated. And, you know, um, I, 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 don't, I don't want to speak out of turn on, on, on your gentleman's behalf, but, you know, at, at the same time, you know, like we, we just want to understand what it is that's, that's helping guide these decisions. And it, it, it just seems to be pluck a punishment out of the hat. And there seems to be a have-nots hat and a haves hat. And you know, being an Eels fan, it certainly feels as though our punishments get plucked out of the have-nots hat. Yeah, and and it's easy, I think, for us to be excused for looking at the different punishments that's handed out and and not being fired up about. I mean, it just it makes no sense. It makes no sense because you've got the focus that's put on Eels players who are punished and, and punished quite significantly and you had the scenario where um i think brent reed as a journalist was saying he thought it was a bit harsh uh with others saying he th they thought it was really um quite soft on on reg yeah, to get four wanna, weeks i mean four up. weeks yeah i know like four four weeks for an act that was obviously like a bit of laziness. There wasn't any. It was clumsy. It was it was clumsy. Like there 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 was nothing in that where there was malice. Where the bloke was, it wasn't like he came charging in and slid along the ground with his knees extending into someone's rib cage. I think you know mm -hmm. where I'm going there with that. <laughs> um, and it was yeah, it was just awkward. It was clumsy. It was stupid. I'll, I'll add that in there. I'll add a bit of criticism of of Reg there. In that moment, it was a it was a really silly thing to do. Like he just he lost focus At, right then. He just let whether it was fatigue or laziness, whatever the case may be, he allowed himself to do something which was never gaining anything out of it. There was never going to be anything to gain from it, and whether it was a mistimed flop or what have you. It, it it just wasn't it wasn't good enough uh, from him. So we don't hold back in any criticism there. But the fact that something similar can happen, and it's not called out by journo's, and it's not punished in any significant form, it just shows that there are double standards that are out there, and it's there for everyone to see. But the thing is, the media who control the narrative, they're not calling that out. They're not calling out a, a double standard because <laughs> their coverage is part of the, the double standard. And so mm -hmm. when you're talking about when when you have Josh Reynolds who's on there on the very program that really showcased some double standards, he's on there. He's saying there's double standards. Mm -hmm. And he's saying it to the program which which has some double standards in the way that the journos who are panellists there talk about it. Anyway. It's all, um, it's all beautifully it, meta, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> yeah. 
now the next one to talk about, you had um, Gordon Tallis fired up about the fact that uh, Nico Hines had um, was not given the same harsh punishment as uh, what Reese Walsh was for uh, abuse of the official. And basically um, the point that Tallis was making was that there may not have been the language involved, but there is still the the questioning, uh, the inappropriate questioning of the decision-making of the official. Um, I think he's maybe drawing a slightly long bow in this one. But what do you fellas think, Clint? Look, um, I also saw this game in real time. And um, you know, my, my, my initial reaction watching it was, this is a player who's feeling the pressure of his team not performing, getting frustrated that he's having a bad day at the office and things aren't quite working out against an opponent they were expected to beat at home. You know, that, that, that's initially the vibe that, that I got. Should he have abused the um, the official in in, in the, I use the inverted commas uh, abuse because I don't know exactly what it was that he said, um, but you know he was he was quite obviously animated and fired up. Um, sometimes that happens in the heat of battle. Um, I'm not saying that's appropriate, and nor 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 am I supporting those actions. Um, but at the same time, you know, in in high stakes, high competitive sports, sometimes that's what happens. Um, but you know, I I still do think that it's not something that we should um, condone, and likewise, it is something that should be subject to punishment, and we have to be consistent. Like we were discussing with the Harry Grant um, RCG comparison, um, it's it's something that we need to have visibility over, so that we can stop all of these um, discussions around what's fair and what isn't. You know, and I get that as part of the drama of, of rugby league, and you know, um, part of what what gets people talking about it. But uh, at, at the same time, you know, like if if if, if we want to have true equity in the game, we want to have true parity with a lot of these scenarios. It needs to be definable and 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 easily understood by everyone who views the game. So that way, we all know what to expect, and, and most importantly, the players and officials know exactly what to expect when any given transgression takes place. Yep. John, your thoughts on the Nico Hines? Yeah, I think you're probably right about it. I love Gordy, and I don't always agree with his football takes, but I do enjoy how he presents him. I feel like he is uh, yeah, very much down-to-earth, salt-of-the-earth sort of uh, you know, opinion uh, pundit. But yeah, He, he, he probably, appeals to the everyman. He, he does, every yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, Gordy is good value. But like I said, I don't always agree with him. I feel like he probably did draw a bit of a longbow here. Um, and I do agree with Quinn. Uh, Nico, I think, is a player that is feeling the heat. Uh, he, he's been set up, and it's not his fault. The media did a very – this is mm-hmm. this they is built like him up, tall, pop, tall, him tall poppy syndrome 101 in the Australian media. They're the best at it in the world. Mm-hmm. They're gonna, they built him up to be the next face of the game, the, the pin-up boy, the poster boy. And now that the, uh, the pressure's on, you know, they can tear him down. And the Sharks are struggling. There is no, no doubt about that. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, fan – uh, sort of uh, content about how much they've played or how much they've struggled against top eight teams and the fact that I think not only have they struggled against top eight teams, but they've got the same amount of wins as the Tigers against top eight teams in recent seasons. So they're struggling. There's no doubt about that. And, and Nico lashed out in the heat of the moment. Um, I don't think it was in the same ballpark as what Reese did because Reese was not only a singular incident, it was a protracted campaign against the referee that uh, mm. culminated in a, a real bit of verbal diarrhea with like some big expletives used uh, in that case, and 
Uh, that was Anson straight up lying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In the aftermath, and in the well. in the aftermath, and and the collaboration between players to to get stories in the same uh, page in order to you know fabricate a, a narrative. So that that obviously were layers to what Reese Walsh did. Um, you know, Nico made a mistake, and like Quinn said, you, you shouldn't be tolerating that sort of stuff and setting that sort of example. Um, so maybe he could have been punished a little bit more. Uh, but by the same token, nowhere near what Reese Walsh got. Yeah. Um, last couple of things to talk about. First of all, Reed Marnie. Now, we had the extraordinary situation where he was moved to the bench for the Bulldogs game against the Panthers. It came out afterwards that he'd had a bit of a back issue and that he still wanted to play. So they simply reduced his minutes and had him uh, playing as a middle lock in the, for like about 27 minutes of the game. I, look, I still find that extraordinary that if someone who is a dummy half and is a small dummy half is first of all incapable of playing, that they supposedly... Uh, agree to his wishes and let him play <laughs> incapacitated. <laughs> so a small player incapacitated and out of position. Well, as an impact forward off the bench. If uh, doesn't spell duty of care, does it? <laughs> well, it's not only that. If if we talk about Nico feeling the heat of um, some struggles in form and whatnot, then surely Cameron Serraldo, his moves have been motivated by the same sort of pressure because. What do we see in that? They got absolutely pumped by the Panthers who put the cue on the rack. And we saw a mm. team that had their fullback. Well, these are the name players. Their fullback go into the halves. Their half go to dummy half. Their dummy half move to the interchange to play a middle forward role. Uh, they, the Bulldogs are the burden of expectation, I think. For a club as, as storied and as proud as the Bulldogs, who, whose identity is built around being competitive, not necessarily being you know, the competition challenges every year, but being competitive, this is a such a long stretch where they've been the complete opposite. Uh, they they are the whipping boys of the NRL. If it weren't for a, a select set of other clubs, uh, headlined obviously by the West Tigers, but not, you know, not withstanding uh, with stuff like the Dragons, uh, I feel like the Dogs would be getting pummeled in the press. And uh, yeah, the, the Reed Mining thing is just bizarre. If he was healthy enough to play as a middle forward, he was healthy enough to start a dummy half. Like, so yeah. what, what, what really yeah. is going on there? Well, I guess maybe you've already touched on it with regard to the focus that would be on the Bulldogs if they were certain other clubs, because how do you explain some of those selection decisions that Cameron Seraldo has made there? And look, there's a lot of, there, there was a lot of, love for Cameron Seraldo before the season started. There, Well, there was a lot of love for him last year when he was being courted by everyone. He's high, He was highly regarded as assistant coach at the Panthers. The other assistant coach is uh, doing mighty fine work over there at the Warriors, and uh, we may well give that a bit more of a, a chat next week in the news mm-hmm. uh, podcast. But he was certainly talked up. And there were all these talks about you know, what what he was doing for the culture of the Bulldogs. And what you're seeing is bizarre decisions. You're having people talking about the culture's obviously wrong at the Bulldogs. 
but he's he seems to be escaping any of the the genuine heat that's there. Um, I think Bulldog supporters have got reason to be able to question what is going on there. Um, and and Clint, I when the Eels didn't sign Reed Barney when they they didn't really match. They didn't. Well, they decided not to fully match what the the Bulldogs were offering, and we found out a little bit about that after it was all over. What you know, the extent that the Eels were prepared to go to, and I was quite animated in my discussions with people, not online, uh, but as you both recall, I said to you, I was upset when the Eels offer went to a certain amount because I didn't believe that Reed. That's true. Was mm-hmm. was worth that amount, based on, and that this isn't a personal comment on Reed. It was based on what he had delivered in previous seasons because they they'd never really got a full season out of Reed. They there'd been injury concerns that were there, and uh, some fluctuations in form. And I said that the Bulldogs were offering an enormous amount, like putting him right up near the top of the payments to dummy halves in the NRL based on top of the tree potential, like Mm. him fulfilling every ounce of potential and more, and and that there hadn't really been the evidence of that in previous seasons to back it up. And I said, even the Eels are going, uh, are paying him on potential and not on delivered performances to that point in time. Uh, looking back on it now, in, in retrospect, I'm very comfortable with the stance that I took there. I'm very comfortable with the fact that the Eels weren't able to secure him. And I think Reed, from his own career, has maybe made an awful call in terms of his football development in going to the Bulldogs. Maybe in the long run it might turn out to be the right one. But I think... He's been able to take the money now, and I'm not sure if it's going to do him the world of good being over there. Clint, your your thoughts? <laughs> you know, this um, uh, I, I, I couldn't agree more with you at the time, and I couldn't agree more with you now. Um, you know, I, I, I was very comfortable in how that transpired, and 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 that we weren't um, we weren't caught up. Um, Having uh, having any more back and forth offers there because because the, the money just got crazy um, for exactly the reasons you touched on and I can't help but think of uh, an episode of classic Simpsons with this when Bart Simpson sells his soul for five dollars and then spends the uh, majority of the episode realizing that the value of it is a lot more than um, the five dollars he sold at the Millhouse for and, and and trying to redeem himself you know and I don't want to be as um, as dramatic to suggest that Reed necessarily did that. Um, but you know, I, I use that analogy to highlight the fact that you know you have to strike a healthy balance between getting paid good money and getting paid your worth, but also being on the side that's that's um, competitive and, and and taking the personal well-being aspect into it. Now you can't always anticipate how well a team's going to perform every single year, but you you got a you got a rough idea of what the level of competitiveness that you're um you're you're entering into in any given season and any given squad because you know at best they're probably capable of this at worst this is probably where we'll end up you know you, every team has a has a rough guide of that and they always hope for the best and aim for the best and 
they land where they land based on a um, a, a number of um, of um, influencing factors. You know, for Reed, he would have been aware that going over to the over to Canterbury, that best case scenario, we may may just sneak into the semis if all things go right on the stars align. Um, and you know, it'll probably be like that for the next two to three seasons of your four-year deal. And maybe by year four, if everything's come together, we might be a shot of um, of being a big swinger. Um, whereas alternatively, you know, he he knew staying at Parramatta for yeah, you know, it's going to be less. My pocket's going to take a hit, but geez, you know, my well-being is going to be good because at worst, I'll probably be on the cusp of the finals, and at best, I might be challenging for a premiership and enhancing my own value longer term as a result of that, you know, um, use the career of Appy Coriosawa's comparison at this particular point in time, another hooker who was off contract um, at the end of last year and switched clubs. He had already won um, three premierships, one at South Sydney and two back-to-back with Penrith. I don't think anyone begrudges him going for the money. I'm sure he doesn't necessarily mind signing with the Tigers. In fact, he extended with them only recently in the last fortnight, you know. He's probably earned the right to go, you know what, I'm going to get paid. And whatever happens, happens at this point. I've got a career that I can already look back on and be happy with. And I've, I've, I've achieved everything I could pretty much hope to achieve in this game. From here on, I need to set myself up for retirement being an older player. Alternatively, you've got Reed, who's, um, who's certainly in the early part of his career by comparison, who's made a money decision that may have longer term effects on not only his success in the game, but his future earning capacity. So, you know, um, you know, the, the decision isn't necessarily a poor one per se in terms of um, some of the logic applied, but in terms of the, the sequencing and timing in his career, I absolutely think it's a poor one. And, you know, you reap what you sow with that. And as you said before, Steve, it may very well work out for him. We don't know what the future holds and we don't have crystal balls. Um, but, you know, at this particular point in time, the picture that's being painted isn't the greatest and he's got to live with that decision. Yeah. And uh, still on the Bulldogs, and we'll wrap up with this, John, their, their manic recruitment, mm. retention, um, and shedding of players shows no evidence of, of, of slowing up in mm-hmm. any way, shape, or form. Uh, like, it's, it's insane. And there's, look, there's plenty of rumours out there about what's going on and, and where the cap's at and that sort of thing. Um, what can you say? Well, again, uh, seeing, what we're seeing with the Bulldogs and their frenzied, manic, uh, almost bizarre recruitment strategy is testament to the fact that the NRL is never going to actively search for uh, any discrepancies in the way caps are managed because the dogs are playing so fast and loose. Like, they are signing people up to big money and then telling them they can go a year later. Uh, we got Fatala Mariner, who was just made club captain, who's allegedly been told he is free to find a new home. Ryan Sutton, who they just picked up for this year, likewise has apparently been told he can, you know, find a, a new employer elsewhere. Uh, they've just picked up Blake Taff and Liam Knight, They've been uh, linked or either have signed uh, CSI Takiyaho, a 32-year-old, to a two-year, $500,000 per year deal. Uh, and like they obviously need to beef up their middle, but it's reckless. I, I, I don't know, given what we know that like some of their numbers of players are between recruitment and then upgrades and retention for guys like Burton, uh, how they are, are funding this spending spree. Because if you're telling guys to leave, you're footing the bill. Uh, there is no club that's going to say that for Tal Mariner and the Bulldogs, yeah, we're taking on the full contract. Canterbury are going to have to eat a significant portion of that in dead cap. 
So I, I have no idea, but it is, I mean, on the one hand, it's entertaining because they just are so aggressive and reckless with their recruitment, but it's not helping at all. But on the other hand, it's a bit frustrating that the NRL is okay with both this and the whole uh, pub share uh, clause that was oh. put into the into the Payne Haas offer, uh, Payne Haas offer. So, yeah, part of me is enjoying it. Part of me is it, it smells real funny. Yeah, it it really like if if there is not, and we don't we're not privy to what the NRL is going to do in terms of going into a club and doing investigations. But you'd have to think that there has to be some level of salary cap auditing that's going on of the Bulldogs. If the NRL are failing to do that, then they're they're basically running a joke of an organisation. Like there is no due diligence whatsoever in their salary cap policing if they're not jumping straight in there. As you said, like it's it's almost reckless abandon the contracts that are going yep. on over there. Yep. It's they're they're literally mentioned when it comes to any player that's coming off contract. They're mentioned as one of the suitors. And you know what? There's, there's actually, like when we ha- used to have that with Parramatta, it was it was essentially because player agents were using it quite often to bump up that there's, um, there's big money that's after a particular player that was under mm-hmm. their management. But in this instance, there's justification for it because the Bulldogs are jumping well, in with big money offers for a lot of the players. They're, they're that linked are on. to Jerome Luai now, Payne Haas. Uh, you know, so they're they're in the market for big time players, and yet they've got plenty of uh, investment in their current roster. Like Reed Money didn't go over on peanuts. We literally just covered that. Matt, uh, we got Burton, uh, Tavita Pungai Junior, uh, the Pong, who, yeah, Ado Car. Uh, you know, all these players uh, across the park, and yeah, like I said, it, it doesn't. You, you're not going to make. And it you know what? If it, if any of them say that they've gone for a particular amount which looks suspiciously low, if the NRL's not all over that, especially when it comes to what was being proposed with the Laundie um, pub share, bizarro world offer or suggested offer, as I said, there is a, a lack of due diligence that's going on there. So, uh, look, fellas, that, that pretty much rounds things I- out at the moment. I do have a quick uh, thing I wanted to chat about, boys, and it's not NRL-related. Um, I don't know how many of you follow football in the classical sense, the soccer round ball version, but some waves today or yesterday with uh, Kylian Mbappe getting a, a reasonable contract off for 60s. I don't know if you've seen this. <laughs> have, you, have you heard about this one? No. No, I haven't. Uh, so uh, when you talk about finding your Saudi prince, uh, Mbappe has just received an <laughs> offer uh, to the tune in US dollars of $775 million for a single year to play in the Saudi Arabian Football League. So to put that in perspective, 60s, uh, that on a current exchange rate is roughly uh, $1.15 billion Australian dollars. Uh, the current NRL salary cap uh, for a given team is 12.1. To fund the entire NRL in a given year is just under $206 million uh, in terms of player salaries. So Mbappe, uh, yeah, he could... Uh, bankroll the NRL for a few years after one year in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> like how, how crazy is that sort of number? Like even, even as like a length of like multi-year contract, that would be crazy. One year, $1.15 billion Australian. Oh, 
Um, there's obviously big money on offer over there. <laughs> could could you say I, no? I, like, I would just like to take this opportunity for a public service announcement to all of our listeners in Abu Dhabi and Qatar <laughs> that um, I am available. Um, you know, I, I can do a pro rata basis. You know, a, a bit, a little bit for me, a little bit for you. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll spend three weeks of the month over there and Sports, give me a week back in media, Australia and entertainment, whatever you need. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm I'm available. I've heard I've heard that Clint G has a lethal right foot. So um, any any billionaires over there, oil billionaires. Uh, just I, like, I don't even have to go on the field. I'll 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 just go work for your business. I mean, really, it's 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 up to you. Whatever you want me to do, Saudi princes, uh, hang on. business hang people. On. Hang on, hang on, Clint. Be very, very careful. You've just said whatever they want you to do. Um, <laughs> you you might get some interesting offers. Um, yeah, maybe if you've got those sort of offers, don't try to get in touch with Clint through the Cumberland throw. We <laughs> don't necessarily want to peddle in 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 you know in any sort of flesh trade that's going on there. <laughs> um, yeah, just uh, we'll. we'll We'll maybe Sports administrative out. services, to be specific. <laughs> well, uh, we'll put out your email address uh, <laughs> on, uh, on your private socials, mate. <laughs> um, no, just to just to wrap up this week, can my big question for the week ahead is: We're playing this week. The Eels are playing a team renowned for the wrestle, the niggle, pushing the rules to the limit. Can we get past our season average of 4.4 penalties <laughs> this game? Quick straw poll, uh, fellas, yes or no? Uh, I think my life says everything you need to know about that one, mate. We're going to get absolutely reamed in the penalty count this week, and uh, there's not much we can do about it. Yeah, Clint. I'm shaking up the eight ball, and it says, outlook not so good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, I'm going to make a bold call. We'll get five penalties this week. Whoa. Just to just to just you to nudge a it big up spender. by you know a, a, a couple, maybe a couple of hundredths in the in the season average. Um, hey, fellas, thank you again for tonight. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Thank you to Big Swing Golf at North Mead, to Star Partners Auburn, Norellan, and Parramatta, and one last thing, go you mighty eels.